Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hey there, welcome back or welcome to Up My Hockey. This is episode 14 and we are going to be chatting with Scott Nickel today. Scott Nickel is an ex-teammate of mine from the Detroit Vipers back in the 2000-2001 season where I think we both agreed that we played on the worst professional sports uh, hockey team ever assembled. Uh, we joke about that, but Scott is an awesome, awesome story. I call him the ultimate underdog. At 5'9", 180 pounds, he was an 11th round selection, 272 overall in 1993. He was the third last player picked in that draft. Uh, he went on to play almost 700 NHL games. And this is after being a seven-year minor leaguer. This is not a guy you would have thought to play 700 games, to retire from the NHL at 37. He is a testament of perseverance. He is a testament of patience and resiliency and only having an A game, he talks about. Um, he's just an amazing story, a quality guy. He always was somebody that would bring a room together. He was one of those guys that was easy to be around, someone that you wanted to be around. And I think that that also helped his career. Well, I know it helped his career. He, he is now the uh, director of player development for the Nashville Predators. He's also the GM for their AHL affiliate in Milwaukee. Uh, he's still very, very much involved in the game and is now helping young guys become the players they want to be. So this is a really fun interview. Uh, we could have talked for, for another two hours, I'm sure. But uh, without further ado, I bring you Mr. Scott Nickel. Welcome to Up My Hockey here, episode 14, and sitting in front of me is Mr. Scott Nickel. Thank you so much, Scotty, for joining. How are you doing today, man? Good. Everything's good. It's a beautiful day here in Nashville, and just chilling at home, relaxing, doing some home projects. Just like everybody else, right? Yeah. Kind of crazy. Um, as I was doing the research for this, uh, it was funny to me because the year we played together marks 20 years ago. We were on the 2000-2001 Vipers, and uh, oh, my goodness, I, I want to get there because hockey's such an amazing thing. You I mean you played in a lot of teams yourself, as did I. And one of the benefits of doing that is getting to meet a lot of people and getting to play with a lot of guys. And so, uh, part of this podcast and being able to even talk to you today is because of that connection, which is great. You know, we pick up the phone, we had a little chat the other day for for however many minutes it was, and it's like you kind of haven't even doesn't even feel like 20 years, does it? Uh oh, no. we've, we've not at all. Already. It's all right. uh, we're good. Yeah, no, we're good. Okay, it was good. so just for so people listening here. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't cut out too much. But um, Nashville has the worst uh, Wi-Fi in, <laughs> in the U.S. It's it's noted for that. So if we have to go to a phone, we will here. But hopefully, we make it through. Um, so Scott, we're gonna. To, I'm gonna tell the underdog story here, and I don't know if you're gonna think that you were an underdog, but I want to get into that because here you are, five nine, hundred eighty pounds, born December thirty first. Last day of the year, which is a disadvantage in almost anything, let alone in sports. And 
you end up making it to the WHL, first of all, as an undersized guy, end up doing real well there. You end up getting drafted um, in the 11th round, the third last pick in that draft, third last player picked in that draft, 272 overall, and you go on to play, geez, 600 games or something, five, 600 games in the NHL. So it's like the ultimate underdog story when I was looking at it. I'm like, that's just like, it's so inspiring and so cool in of itself. But did you ever look at yourself that way in that context? No, I think it was just like a progression. Like I just wanted to be good at one level and then just keep going. Like all I was worried about is making the Flames AAA midget team and making that. And then the next year trying to make a, a, a team in the Alberta Junior League. And uh, I got cut from there, went back to midget, played another year of midget with Calgary Flames. And then <clears throat> I broke my wrist that Christmas and uh, the Calgary Royals, Royals had my rights. So they dropped me off. They let me go. And then I went to the Calgary Canucks with a broken wrist and played the rest of the season there. And that's kind of where the Portland Winterhawks saw me. And back then we didn't have the draft. We had the, like a 50-man list. So they weren't sure if I was going to go to college or whatever. They took me for dinner and they put me on their list. And the next day or the next year, I was with the Winterhawks, went there and tried out with the Kimberly BC. That's where we had our training camp and then um, signed my contract there for the Portland Winterhawks. And I was just happy to be, you know, in the WHL. I struggled the first couple, probably first couple of months and then just kind of got some traction and we had, really good teams, you know, always play against the, with you guys against Spokane and then Kamloops and uh, just kind of got better and better. And I, I was just always just so focused on, you know, that year and just doing well. Like I didn't right. have an agent until I think when I thought maybe I might get drafted, I had to call somebody and say, Hey, you want to represent me? Now mm -hmm. kids got agents at 12, 13 years old. So it was yeah. different. And, uh, I don't, I think you, you can relate to like, once you're in it, you're just in it until you actually retire and you take a step back. Then you're like, Oh yeah, no, that was kind of cool. You know, like right. not many kids get to do that or totally different path. Sure. No. I and mean, everyone has a massively different path. And like you with the birthday, I was having a hard time. Some of the years, like how old were you that first year in Portland? So that would have been, uh, I would have went in as an, as an 18 year old. So I would have been 17. At so the start I would of the have, season, I, you were 17, yeah. turned 18 yeah. before, which, so then that would have been technically your 18 year old year then, right? Okay. Yeah. So your so, 18 year old year, which was your draft year. So you, you made yeah. the WHL in your, on your draft year. How was that first camp? I mean, you already talked about it, that you made the team. Like, did you go in there? Were you listed before you went to camp? Or did you go in there as an unlisted guy to camp? I think they listed me, and then that's how I went to camp. I went to, when I was young, at 16, I went to Moose Straw's camp. And just to kind of get a taste of that. And then just kind of, and then after that, I went back home, played midget hockey and all that. But then they listed me, and then that's when I went to the camp. And I still wasn't, it wasn't like they were, hey, here's your contract, come to camp. It was like, I better go to camp and make this team, you right. know? And, and then the first two days, my mom and dad didn't come. I went there on my own and, and just tried out. And as soon as my mom and dad got there, they, they put us in a room and they wanted to sign me right away. So it was, uh, it was you good. It was, at all? Like, was it, what, were you, did you, did you perform? Were you playing well? Were you nervous as hell? Like, were you fighting? Like, what was that, what was that camp about? Like, how did you feel you made that team? 
just buzzing around. I think I had lots of confidence and, you know, I played, sometimes it's better to not just get rushed into it. So I played a ton in, in for the Flames AAA, I played a ton for Kerry Bracco and the Calgary Canucks down the stretch and in the playoffs against, uh, geez, who would you play? I don't know, it'll come to me, but, and then I just, I don't know. I basically, in my whole career, my whole life, I've had always all the eggs in one basket. That's it. I didn't have anything anywhere else. So it was like, I remember driving to, to Kimberly in my geo tracker and just worried about what's, if I don't make this, where do I go from here? And like I said, all my eggs in one basket and then just, just gave it. I thought she like, we had Johnny Badoop, Kale Hulse, we, Dave Kamek, like we had really, we had a great team, but big, like meaty. I was like, just buzzed around and, I remember Johnny Baduk played against him and then he was my line mate for the whole year. But I remember playing against him in the exhibition game and or the inner squad game. And just, I was like, where's this guy from? Like no teeth, big guy just wants to fight everybody. And, but then it was just myself, Jason Weimer and Johnny Baduk were aligned for the whole year. And it was, he took good care of us. I could tell you that. So, okay, well, we was was no slouch himself, and yeah. uh, you guys had a tough team. I was going to talk yeah. about that. I mean, there was a lot of like even your for like your skilled forwards were tough guys. You know, like you yeah. you had some you had a lot of tough toughness, a lot of big tough guys on the back end, and that was when the WHL was. That was a tough league, you know, plain and simple. Yeah. And uh, do you did you? I mean, I, I was looking. You you had a hundred. You had ten. 10, 11 seasons in a row where, where you had over 100 pims. I mean, you were definitely, I don't know what I, what you would call, probably an agitator now, maybe like a little bit of a pest. But you were definitely scrappy, though. But I don't remember you actually fighting that much. But you must have fought to get over 100 pims. You had to be fighting quite a bit, I assume, right? Yeah, I fought, I fought quite a bit. I sometimes bit off a little bit more than I can chew. I think just when I played my – maybe my wick got smaller and smaller. Maybe that was to my advantage, even just – playing in the NHL like I fought a lot of guys that have no business fighting so uh, I think I just I don't know I think when you're surrounded by guys like that who are they make you play a little bit braver because you they know you know you they have your back and and then once I got a couple under my belt I was like ah and I was, I was like seriously I was 150 pounds when I went to WHL camp so it wasn't like I'm going to be stringing guys out and technical fighter it was like all right, you hit me cheap, but the gloves are off. I'm chasing you down, and I'm just going to chuck them until something gives. And, you know, I think I learned my first lesson in uh, Rochester. I, I was asking questions to fight this guy, and he just popped me. So I was like, from then on in, I'm just I'm just dropping them and start swinging. So <laughs> things funny. get a little hairy, I'll just fall down. So right. it's too bad. No, that's so. great. I mean, and like you said, you mean Johnny Baduke, Jason Weimer, um, you know, if anything goes sideways, you know, someone on that team's going to have your tail. Um, yeah. which is which is a nice feeling to have and uh, and allows you to go be who you are, I guess, right? You know, like, uh, and, and and be who you are, you were. Like, what a great rookie season. I mean, almost a point a game. You had a point a game in the playoffs. I looked that up. You were like 16th in the league in points as a, as a rookie. And, um, you know, what a, what a welcome to the league. And, and by the sounds of it, you, you said you came in with confidence. So you must have had a good good season in, in midget and, and, and you just yeah. kind of rolled with it. It's my first year in the WHL. I didn't really know what to expect. And I think that's the year we went to uh, the finals. We lost to Swift Current. That's when they had the big trade for Dean McCammon out of Prince Albert. And we went to game seven. I remember flying into Swift Current and it was so windy. We got off our, we had a, 
we're in Portland, so we chartered a plane back then. It was a huge deal. So we chartered a plane to Swift, and we got off the we got off the um, walking off the airplane. A guy grabbed my hat and threw it. It might have spent three miles down the the runway. It was so windy, but uh, yeah, it was a great. It was a good year. And then like, what did I put up? What did I have? Thirty points. Thirty one. Sixty four points. Thirty one goals. And it got yeah. me eleventh. Got me eleventh round draft yeah. pick. You know, yeah. like it just it, that that era. I was a small guy. No one's drafting small guys. Basically, the only reason why I got drafted is because our assistant coach Brent Peterson played for Buffalo. Had a good relationship with those guys. And uh, yeah, it was just me and the janitors. I think left. I didn't even go to the draft. I, they called me, left a message. Buffalo didn't even call me. My assistant coach called me. He leaves a message on the answer machine. That's when we had answering machines back then. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I get home. I was in Banff rollerblading with a couple of buddies. I get home. I was like, I, it was the draft. Like I wasn't rated or ranked or I just was like another day. I was like, oh, it'd be cool if I got drafted. And then uh, came home. My answering machine listened to the message, called Brent Peterson back. And uh, I'm like, hey, Petey, what's going on? He's like, you got drafted. I'm like, oh, great. Who, who did I get drafted by? And he's like, you got drafted by Buffalo. And then a couple of swear words. He's like, don't embarrass my, don't embarrass yourself or don't make me look bad or something like that, he said. And I was just like, don't worry, Petey, I'll, I won't. And then even then, like, so I got drafted. Then that next September, I get on a plane and I'm flying to uh, Buffalo. I've never flown before. Like it's so, so different back then. I just came from Calgary and they have one secretary from nine to five in the, in the office, no cell phone. So I get my, my ticket itinerary and all that kind of stuff. And I, I fly into, uh, I fly out of Calgary, go to, I think it was like Chicago and I'm looking at Chicago and I'm changing terminals and all this. I'm just like, where am I? Like I've got my skates in my hand just in case my bag gets lost. I fly in, I think I get in at like two in the morning. We have testing the next morning at six in the morning. And you know, that just, it didn't matter. Like now we got player development guys. We got, we hold their hand all the way through. It was just like, here's your ticket. Be here. You got testing 6am at the holiday Inn, And that was it. So no, hundred percent, man. I hear that. I want to rewind though to that draft. So like you, because it sounds like you had a good relationship with the coach. I mean, and that's something that I, that I do talk a lot about here and, and something that, I mean, not that I took for granted, but I just didn't really, either I didn't put much energy in it or I never had really that guy that seemed to really like me, you know, like it was, it was a little bit twofold, you know, um, but what a great, what a great story that is. So, I mean, so here he has this guy that he saw battling all year for him, puts up, puts up big numbers for him, helps him get to the final. Now he's making phone calls on your behalf to say, Hey, you got to take a look at this guy. Is that essentially what happened? Exactly. He just, and then it's such a small world. So Brent Peterson now, so I went through my whole career, uh, go through nine, seven, seven years in the minors, finally get a chance in Calgary, make the NHL. I'm a free agent or group six. And guess who calls me from Nashville because he was assistant coach in Nashville for the Predators. He's like, hey, what are you doing next year? I'm like, I don't know, maybe go back to Chicago. He's like, do you want to come to Nashville? So then I ended up signing four years with Nashville, Brent Peterson, my assistant coach for the Predators. And then... And then now he's still part of the organization. He's in broadcasting. He has Parkinson's now, so he slowed down a little bit. But then he also, when I retired out of the NHL, he calls me. I'm on the way. I'm in St. Louis. I'm going to a game, and I see Brent Peterson calls me. I answer it. I'm like, hey, Petey, what's going on? He's like, 
are you going to play hockey again next year? I'm 38 years old in the NHL in a fourth line role. I'm like, I don't know, Petey. I'm just on my way to the game right now. What's going on? He's like, do you want to do player development for Nashville? I'm like, well, let me get through this season. I'll let you know. And then, so it's just like it's our, our, why our lives are just like intertwined. And, you know, now his son is our equipment manager here. I see Brad all the time and he's got his young family too. So it's, uh, yeah. it's good. So people you meet and this relationships you make, it doesn't mean a lot. You mean, it was, it was something, um, and I'm not saying this to say that you, and I want to get into how you end up getting the NHL, but like, it, it's funny and interesting in the way that I always thought that just the best of the best were the guys that were going to play there. Right. Period. You know, and then, but there's all these different elements that come into play, whether it's opportunity, whether it's an injury, whether it's being ready for that opportunity, whether it's having a guy in that coach's office that says, you know what, let's give this guy another shot, a shot, you know, like I know what he's about. Right. So it, it extends your leash maybe a little bit, right? Like it, there's, there's a whole bunch of different elements that come there. And, um, and I just love hearing that story because how do you, because when you're 17 years old and you're in Portland, you're not, you're not manufacturing a relationship. You're just going about your business and playing hockey. Like there must have, did you, did you know there was something about you that he liked? Like, did you know that there was, there was sort of a connection there? I think I just, maybe my personality and just the way that I played, I, you know, I just, they was, I don't know, maybe we're like-minded or you always gravitate to a few of your players too. We had yeah. a good time. I like to have a good time. I think I played and you hit it on the head. Like I, I thought the same thing. I think it's the best 700 NHL players in the world playing the NHL. It's not even close. There's way better players than, than me that played. There's way better players in Europe than there are in the NHL, but it is a puzzle. And it's a, it's, you have to put the pieces together. You have to have personalities. You, like we actually can't have all milk drinkers. You need some personality guys. Like that's, that's what builds a team. And um, maybe just, I don't know. They just, it was great. It's a great connection. And, yeah. and it's almost like when we, like, I haven't, I haven't spoken to you in 20 years, you know, but we talk like we, that's the bond that we have as athletes is you just pick up right from where you left off. Yeah. You know? No, it's awesome. So second year was another great year in, in Portland. You I mean, I, I just love that time. Cause even for, for me, who went on to play 10 years pro, a lot of my most like vivid memories are like are from junior it's so crazy to me like a, a lot of the stuff is just a blur getting into pro and I'm, i haven't even really figured out why that is but like i remember spoke for sure and i remember your team and i remember like the t-birds and i remember like specifically the players on the team even the line combinations i can remember so i i think it's interesting just to sit there for a second because we we had uh we had some good battles with you guys in that second year you almost threw up 100 points like when you, you had 40 at 40 goals that that year as uh the second year and then so again yeah. You were drafted. How are you able to go to pro the year after that? Or what was your first camp like? Let's let's dig into that actually. But so so you go, you get drafted. Now you're going to camp. You're showing up there at two in the morning for six o'clock testing the next day. And like, what's what's going through your head? I it just and then you're walking in, you're walking into your hotel room, and there's some guy laying because you have two double beds. You have no idea who it is. So you just get brush your teeth, go to bed. You got some stranger beside you and you wake up the next day and you're just like, all right, it's, it's, uh, let's do some testing. Hey, what's your name? <laughs> like it's just, people have no idea. Like it's to get out of your comfort zone. Like that's why I think that hockey players are so well-rounded because they have to, they're very from age 13, 14, like they're, 
you know, they're staying in hotels sometimes by themselves or traveling by themselves. Like our kids are 15 years old. They travel by themselves, find an Uber now, get to the hotel, check in. Like it's a lot, but, mm. but they have that runway now where I didn't, I just, it was thrown in there, but no, that first camp was so Buffalo Sabres first camp. We had Grant Fuhr, McGillney, um, Howard Chuck, LaFontaine. Then you had Brad May, Rob Ray, um, Gord Daunt, like it was, it was like Charlie Huddy. It was a lot of because we had uh, Muckler was there, so we had oh, a lot okay. of the, a lot of the old Empton Oilers guys there. And I just remember skating around the ice and Patty Lav. I'll never forget Patty Lav. I'm 11th round pick, 272nd overall. Patty Lafontaine comes up, hey Scotty, shakes my hand. I'm like, <laughs> like that is just so. Right from there, I said if I ever make it, I am introducing myself to all the. The rookies know their names, welcome, because that was just, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And that back then was like, rookies never made the NHL. It was like such an old boys school where even if we do six days of inter-squad games and you just beat the shit out of each other, then you finally have an exhibition game. But even if you cheap shot at one of the guys on the opposition team in the inter-squad, a guy on your team would fight you on the bench because that's, that's his teammate. You know, like it was just such a different, and there was no three hour rule. It was, we were on the ice twice a day and we'd have enough time just to grab a sandwich, maybe lay down for 20 minutes and then back to the rink. And this was in Saberland and all the pigeons were in the basement. No fans. Our gear was wet for like two weeks straight. They'd never drive. And then the, all the big boys were up top and the fans, whatever. So I remember thinking, all the pigeons. <laughs> I, re I remember thinking, this is pro hockey. I don't know if I want to do it. Like I was just like, and then they give you a wad of meal money. I was like, this is sweet, but we just eat Subway all day. But it was just, it was a lot. It was hard. And it was uh, just exhausting. I couldn't wait to get back to junior after my first year. It was cool, but I was, I was ready to take my meal money and get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Were you running around that camp? Did you, did you get in your, in your share of fisticuffs there or what were you, what was your, uh, I your don't game think so. Like? I think I was, I was just scooting around. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I fought. Uh, would have been maybe my second camp. I think we had a huge brawl against it was the Hartford Whalers. It was, um, they had like Chris Bronger would have been a rookie then, but they had, Lynn Byers, they had a huge team and we had a seriously five on five brawl, like four of them with, uh, in St. Catharines neutral zone site. St. Catharines is like a matchbox. And it was just, I don't even know if we finished the game. There's my three people left on the bench. <laughs> it was just a goat rodeo. Like it was just, Oh my God. Oh, that's wild. No, it's, it's been better. So, but no, our, our year in, we'll go ahead. our year in Portland, my second year. So I go back to Portland, um, from that camp and we had a lot of guys like with Jason Weimer, Adam Deadmarsh, Nolan Pratt. Like we had a really good Brandon. Um, we had Lonnie Bohannis. Like we had a great team. So we had that year, we had six 40 goal scores I know. on our team. So we broke a record. Like, can you imagine having six 40 goal scores nowadays? Like, and then we, we were tough and we could score. It was, it was a fun year. And then I think we ended up losing to maybe Kamloops, I think. Third. Yeah, Kamloops yeah. didn't get out of the yeah. West. I mean, you had a really good team that year, too. I remember that. I, was looking at, I remember that at the time, actually, too. Because you, uh, yeah, you came in there with 40. You'd, a few guys that had 40 or 41, like, just got right on the number. Um, and then the you had Lonnie yeah. that, uh, that led the way there that year. 
Um, I want to touch on two things. Let's, I want to talk about Lonnie, but I also want to talk about Pat because or Lafontaine. I think that's that's amazing that you remember that and what an impact that was for you. Right here you are, right, whatever it is, 25 years later, talking about Pat Lafontaine and him shaking your hand like that. And, um, I had a similar scenario, but it was later in my career because I never had that scenario until later in my career. Where I was 30 and I was a pigeon then too, right? So I started, I started obviously as being a top prospect and this guy that sort of, you know, the older guys would know who I was when I was coming in and stuff. And then but never really had that environment where it was like, hey, Jay, you know, like, let's go do this or how's it going or whatever, right? It was always not like that. But then when I went to, to uh, Detroit camp at 30, and at that point, pretty much a nobody. Like Chris Chelios walked across on the first day, introduced himself and invited me to his Chili's bar, me and this one other guy. And I hung out with Chris Chelios all day. And he was just the best guy, 45 years old he was, right? Like doing his thing. And like that environment there I've talked about before in the show was unbelievably inclusive, unbelievably, like the culture there was just phenomenal. And I was like, oh my God, if I could put this jersey on, like I could play, I could play in the NHL. Right now. I just totally felt that, right? And I hurt myself, but it was just amazing the difference that made it, like, that made uh, in feeling comfortable and like you're supposed to be there. And it sounds like that made you feel like a little bit like you belong. Even if you want to go home, you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. That's cool. And it was just, it kind of not put you at par, but it just kind of took the, took the edge off, you know, a little bit. Right. You're just like, oh, I'm, you're accepted a little bit. Like we're just all in it together. So it was, it was great. And that, that wasn't the norm back then for sure. No, you know, I was so, going to say that because you see that more now and I mean, in your role sure. and I want to get yeah. there, but like back then I totally felt like it was us and them, us and them and us and them. There was us and them, meaning the players against the coaches. I, I really felt that like, they were on the other side of the fence. And then there was also like the young guys and the old guys. And, and you needed somehow to earn your way into that group and no one was doing you any favors yeah. at all. Well, every, everybody was on one year contracts. That's why like we, right. there's no five, six, seven year contracts back then. Like I think that year, Patty LaFontaine signed a three year contract and that was maybe for a million dollars a year. And that was huge money, like three years. That was the longest term, but that's, I think that's also why, because everyone you're scratching and clawing, you're trying to, you're playing for next year as well. So, yeah. uh, and there was no salary cap. So you're all making the same money. So you're going to, of course, you're going to have, you want older guys. What are these young guys? What have they done? You know, yeah. even back then though, but back then it was three years in the minors, the minimum. There wasn't any, there wasn't many 18 year old kids, 19 year old kids coming and playing. Like you really had to sow your oats in the minors for a good three years. Yeah. Was, that was pretty yeah, 100%. There's the two way, there's the one way or the two way contracts. That was the big divider, right? If, and if yeah. you were a rookie, you had a two way contract. If you were a veteran, you had a one way contract. It might not be for a whole whack of money, but still a whole lot more than sending you down to the minors. Right, or sending me down to the minor, minors where you can pay me 45 or you play Jody Hall 800 down to the minors, right? Who are you going to take? Um, no, that, those, those, are, those are real good points. And, and I think you're right because back in those days without the salary cap, you know, it, it wasn't an advantage unless you definitely helped your team be better, right? If it was easier to move you down, they moved you down. But let's get back to you. So you, you, uh, your first year pro um, playing under John Van Boxmere, which gave me a chuckle because I played for him for a month and a half in Long Beach. Um, mm -hmm. What was your impression of your first year? What was your biggest challenge? And uh, we'll talk a little bit about Boxy too. Uh, and I still see Boxy. Boxy scouts, I think, for LA. So I see Boxy quite a bit just around the rinks and stuff like that. He's the same, looks exactly the same, looks good. But yeah, my first year, like, 
I think we had one, we didn't have internet or what, I feel like a dinosaur talking about it, but it wasn't, I don't even think it was felt like that long. My first year was 93, 94, maybe. So like I knew where Buffalo was. I had no idea where Rochester, where's Rochester, New York, no idea. You know, so I think we had that one show on, I think it was called Rinknet. Maybe it'd come on once a week or something on a Sunday. It was like American League. So I would look on there, oh yeah, Rochester Americans. So that's the only reason, Jody Gage, that's what I knew, Rochester Americans. So anyhow, I get sent to, down to Rochester and it's, it's hard. Like you, those were, those times, those days you only had, um, you had three lines and one extra for forwards. So you had 10 forwards. Usually your 10th forward was a big tough guy. Um, like a Serge Robert, Serge Robert or Kevin McClellan was on my team my first year and I watched him empty and Oilers like just a nut bar but was great with us and um, it was hard it was uh, you know I'm a because of my birthday so I'm there as a 19 year old I'm probably the youngest North American guy that could play there because you have to be you know 20 years old if you're North American so like I played three years in the minors and I wasn't 21 yet, you know, so it was, and I wasn't a very big guy. So boxy was great. You know, I just buzzed around. I had a really good line that kind of took good care of me and just scratched and clawed and just, you know, I did, that's kind of where I, you know, you're not your defining moment, but you kind of, kind of evaluate what am I? Like I scored about 11 goals or something like that my first year, like I'm five foot nothing, 150 pounds. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to make the NHL by scoring goals. So I better be good in the face-off circle. I better have lots of energy. I better buzz around and hit guys. And, and then hopefully when I get a chance and my skill can take over, I'll get some chances. But I never played power play. So I'm like, well, let's, let's be the number one guy over the boards to kill penalties. So that's kind of where my, you know, they and myself were like, okay, some kids take a little bit longer because I think they're going to score goals and get to the NHL where I was like, right from the start, I'm like, I don't have this kind of skill set. So I'm just you that on your own or was that Boxy helping you or the Buffalo Sabres Boxy, in general? Yeah, Boxy helped me quite a bit. And we had good teams. That team we did that year, we didn't really have a great team. I don't even think we made the playoffs. And then my second year, um, um, John Tortorella came in. Right. And that was a, and uh, it's always your second year pro is always the hardest because you're not the rookie anymore. You got new rookies coming in, so I was probably a healthy scratch until probably Christmas when when Torts came in, and then um, after he kind of went through his gauntlet of guys, I just you know got it finally got a chance, and then we ended up winning the Calder Cup in our line with Scott Medcap, myself, and Dan Frawley. Um, two older grizzled guys. Dan Frawley was captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins, I think before Mario was. Scott um, Medcalf was first round pick to the Edmonton Oilers back then, but he could never make it because of his Edmonton Oilers. And those guys really helped me. We, are, we just kind of really solidified into our role of like a checking, buzzing line. And we played um, Barry Trotz's Portland Pirates for the Calder Cup Championship. And then, of course, full circle. Trotsy coaches mm -hmm. Nashville, Brent Peterson here. That's right. why I get to Nashville. Well, you guys win it, right? I mean, I definitely want to touch. So you guys win it your second year. I didn't realize you were out of the lineup though that year. I was going to say, like, first of all, I want to point out to because I got I got some uh, you know younger listeners that are listen to that listen to this show, and you know, so you go from a forty goal campaign, fifty three points, almost a hundred hundred point campaign in the WHL, one of the best junior leagues in in the world. 
and then you go to pro and you get 11 goals your first year playing 71 games, right? Like it's, everyone thinks that they're going to be there, that they're this type of guy, right? And I, and I keep saying again and again and again, right? Every time you step up, it gets harder and harder, right? To be, to be that guy. And, and I talk a lot about adaptability, right? And I think you hit it right in the head because there's one thing of liking hockey, but a lot of guys only like hockey a certain way. You know, like I like playing this way. I like being the guy in the point and doing the one time and I like doing this, like doing that. But if I'm not able to do that, now you're asking me to do what? I don't even think that's hockey. You know I mean? A lot of guys aren't able to adapt and do something else. So like, first of all, good on you to be able to do that. But second, like, were you ever worried about like, holy smokes, I might not even be good enough to play here. Like when you start getting healthy scratch and stuff and now like what's next for me kind of deal? Like where, where, where was that challenge? Like that real, that real challenge in that second year? Well, I think again, all my, I have my high school diploma, all my eggs in one basket. What am I going to do? You know, like I, like every year you always, I always saw guys leave, go to Europe, never come back. I was like, I'm young. Like it's just another lesson to go through. And it sucked. Like the team would go on the road and I'd say back in Rochester, like it sucked. We had a new coach with torts and we didn't have a great year. So John Tortorella brought his guys in and I, I had another year on my contract is entry level so two more years but um that was the those are the years where you had your team canada so do i want to go back to calgary play team canada go to europe travel all over europe play team canada play spangler cup all that kind of stuff and i'm like i just hung, just hung in there and practiced my bag off and just worked hard and then we had injuries he finally put me in and then it just clicked and never took me back out and we were a huge part of you know the the success of our year that year, but it yeah. had, they had to go through the guys and it was just, that's just the way it was. And I was fortunate that, you know, turned out that way. And then after that, it was not smooth sailing at all, but it was, at least right. it felt more of a team part of it. But how do you dig in there? Like, for, for, I mean, I, I saw your, your, first of all, I so, so from a guy who's getting healthy scratches, team's going on the road in your second year pro, you're not even 20 years old yet. Right. Or maybe just turned 20. Um, you're in Rochester, New York. Right, and you're like, oh my god, like what? Is, this is pro hockey, right? These guys are leaving. I can't get in the lineups. New coach, I'm sure Torts was 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 back in his yelling and screaming days, and uh, and then from that scenario, you end up winning a championship. You have 13 points in 19 games. You end up being a big part of that team. Like, how did you get through that? Like, what was your what was your mentality? Were you just showing up and trying to do the best you can in practice? Did you, did you stay positive with that, or you know, do you remember how you handled it? Just grinded. That's it. Yeah. I think that just shut your mouth and work, you know, be the last guy off the ice, just be there first and just work. That's, you know, and just hang around and, and get your chance. Sometimes guys are going to get nine chances. Some guys are going to get one or two. And, and I got a chance and I think it was Adirondack. I might've scored a couple goals or three goals. I think that game and I never came out again. Come on, that was your first game back in? Yeah. Adirondack. So good for uh, you. It was good. It was just, that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know. It's just that kind of has been the storybook of my sure. whole career. You know, I just any kind there was a divide of a fork in the road. It was just just kind of hung in there. And then I usually had some success when kind of cleared a little bit. But uh, it was awesome. good. It was a it was a good run. That was and I ended up playing, I don't know, five or six years, six years, I think, in Rochester. Yeah, and then we ended up buying a house there and going back there. And once I retired, we lived there. So it was like my community. Right. Turned into home for you. No, it is yeah. home, I guess, or was. Um, you got your first two games in the show there, though, that year, too. 
that was, and that's why. So I go from a health, healthy scratch, not playing seriously till probably Christmas, and then having a great run playing. What did I end up? 170 penalty minutes, like in 60 games. So fighting, clawing, being a rat, throwing guys chains in the stands, like just with torts. It was like five on five brawls every game. Like we had. So I'll go back. To, so we had one coach. Torts was our coach. We had one equipment manager. Pete Rogers, that was it. That was all on the bench. We didn't have any assistant coaches, didn't have anything. Come so on. Tor- Torts ran the whole show, ran the bench, ran the forge, ran the D, did all the video and uh, <laughs> ran it. So he must have been kicked out five or six times a year. He'd run down the bench and kick the glass down in between the two benches in Rochester. So it'd, it'd fall down and it would be five on five brawl. And so he'd get booted. We had no coach. So our <laughs> trainer would coach us. So I had to so I'd bring our trainer like coffee and donuts every other day, but just in case, you know, maybe it throws me on the power play. So now our guess who guess where met our equipment trainer is Nashville. So our equipment guys here in Nashville. So it's been those stories of torts him. Oh my, it was good. He was, he made you compete. He made you like boxy was hard, you know, on us, but torts was like a totally different level. Like he made it so, he cared about us so much, but it was like our inner circle. Nobody from the outer circle could ever come into the inner circle. And he was ruthless with us, but we stuck together. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, okay, we're going to play because we hate this guy. He just, he brought us to another level and, and it was, uh, we were a hard team to play against by the end of the year. That's for sure. And wow. it, was, it was gratifying. It was really I good. love that. The bench getting ran by the trainer oh. in, pro, in pro hockey. That's pro amazing. Hockey. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story about boxy. So I got, um, when I was in St. John's, it was the second time I got traded in the trade deadline. So I first, the first one was from uh, Florida to Toronto. And then I was in Toronto for two years or whatever. And then I got traded on the deadline to LA from Toronto. So when I got notified of the trade, the way that it came down to me was that I was going to start in Long Beach. So I knew I was going to Long Beach. Um, but I think that they confused who, who was either that I got it confused or they got it confused. Like they gave me like the game schedule was like that I wasn't going to be playing for three, three days, but I think that was like the King's schedule. So anyways, that night, the boys all took me out right in, in St. John's and in St. John's doesn't close. Right. So I never close. So like I went straight to the airport, right? Like straight, had my stuff packed straight to the airport and the, you couldn't fly any longer in North America, right? From St. John's, Newfoundland to Long Beach, yeah. like, right? So <laughs> flying all day, right? Four and a half hour time change, roll into Long Beach, got my bags, haven't eaten like peanuts on the plane, right? You know, and and uh, and I walk into the yeah, hung over, walk into the locker room, and all the jerseys are up, and there's Padola number eleven in one of the stalls, and Boxy's the only one there, and he goes, "Hey, nice to meet you." I'm like, "Yeah, nice to meet you too." And he goes, "You ready to go tonight?" <laughs> Oh, what do you say right yeah yeah i'm good coach yeah. yeah good to go so like back to the hotel like half an hour <laughs> sleep trying to get some past all the brass is there that i mean dave taylor like everyone from from the kings was at that game they had me on the point on the power play i've never in my life that i played the point of the power play. anyway so that was my first round with boxy we did okay we ended up getting kind of eight points in eight games for him we got knocked out in the second round he was a pretty good guy but i didn't, I didn't get to know him that well I thought that, was, that was my first face in the IHL, John Van Boxmere, me with no sleep coming off the plane. I imagine how I looked. He's like, who is this guy? Newfoundland to Long Beach. Yeah. Make that yeah, trip. That's nice. Yeah. No, um, so then, so my last two games, so I get called up my last two games. My last game was the last game in the odd. 
So my first NHL game was in Washington in the old building. I don't even know what they called it back then. So I'm like all jacked up. So, so Torts calls me like, I have no idea. Like we'd watch like NHL tonight on like we're never dialed into Buffalo. So it was just like, so Torts called me. It's like Scotty and he goes through the whole spiel. You're going to drive to Buffalo tomorrow, practice in the morning, fly to Washington, play in Washington, come home. And I'm just like this on the phone, house phone. I'm like, and look at my face is like ghost white. And I'm like, who is this? And he's like, and then he starts swearing and yelling at me on the phone. I'm like, okay, hold on towards, let me write this down. So then I go to Buffalo and uh, so I fly uh, practice with them. Like, and then we fly to Washington and Daryl Shannon is my roommate and just awesome. Played a long time, not because he's a good player, like he's a good shutdown D, but he was just the best guy. So Daryl Shannon's my roommate and he's going to the White House to like drive cars, shoot guns. And um, that's, they had back then the, the FBI would take a bunch of guys and go underground. There's a big track, I guess they used to always go to. And so he, so he comes back and I'm just hanging in the hotel and there's two games left. They're totally out of the playoffs. And I just remember him saying, Hey, these are, these are your first two games. Don't take them lightly. Or, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not like it, the other guys are kind of on cruise control. And so we play against Washington and my first period, I'm like, it felt like I'd never played the game, the game ever. I was so gassed. I'm laying it on the floor in front of the fan. Like probably played five shifts and it felt like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> so I look over and there's Craig Berube, Dale Hunter and Kevin Kaminsky. So my line is Rob Ray, Brad May and myself. I'm like, geez, drop the bucket. I skate right for the Gonchar and try and try and fight them. I'm like, I'm not doing anything with these guys. So, and then we flew home and then our next night was the last game in the odd and we took the banners down and, and uh, it, was, it was quite cool. And then, you know, had a long run with, with Rochester and won the Calder Cup that year. So do you know how or why you got called up? Was it just, was it a reward essentially or something? Probably, hurt? Yeah, probably just a reward. You know, I think it was my last year in my contract. <clears throat> I might've only signed a two year deal. And then, so they're probably just kind of seeing, can this guy play or, it's probably more of a reward. Like Torts probably said, give this guy a couple games. What's the big deal? So that's so it's interesting. You played with um, Mayday. I, I, there's a Leaf alumni trip that we just had a few months ago, and he was on it. And I, we sat together in the bus quite a bit and, and shot the shit. He's he seems like a really awesome. good guy. Kind of great yeah. stories. I didn't realize you had a chance to play with him there. That's pretty cool. Thanks so much. Just going to take a short break here and just remind everyone to please review and share the podcast. Uh, that is the ultimate way to help grow this thing is your word of mouth and by you leading digital reviews. So if you like the content, if you like what you're hearing, please take the time. It doesn't take long and, uh, and share the episode or review the episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Now back to the interview. You had ten. You had ten pims. Oh, I saw. What were the pims? Was it a ten minute misconduct or ten minute misconduct? Yeah, I swore at the ref. I think so. He booted me. <laughs> so as my second game in the NHL, I play like I think I got a ten in the second period. I think I drove the net and I got hauled down, and I just was like, "What the?" And the ref's like, "Get to the box." <laughs> Get out of here, rookie! So, Don't talk yeah, to me like exactly. that. That's exactly. awesome. Um, so the year after, so you win the cup. Um, 
Well, I was going to give a shout out to Dixon Ward actually. Dixon Ward just yeah. lit it up that year. I, I, I saw it. He was your uh, had a great playoff and was your number one guy. He's he's running the OHA here in uh, in the Okanagan now at Hockey Academy. That's doing pretty well. Yeah. So uh, he uh, what what was he like to play with? Was was he was he pretty good? He was good. He was very skilled. He was he was kind of up and down with with us in Buffalo, and then after the, after us winning the Calder Cup and then being the MVP in the playoffs and. Um, he just springboarded right to Buffalo. We never saw him again. And I think he signed maybe a couple more years after that with Buffalo. Good. So so when, I w- when I was playing with, who was I with? Maybe Nashville. We were in Phoenix and he had his little guys there. He came into the dressing room and said to say, and I talked to Wardle for a while. Cool. Good. He's, yeah, he's, he's doing well there. He's putting a lot of good players through there. Did other guys take off from that? I mean, I've had some some guys on you. Like when you win a championship in the minors, that it usually springboards quite a few guys, and and uh, for sure, which is interesting, right? Because it's such an individual league. You mean like, and I mean that in the sense that everybody there wants to be somewhere else. You know, like they're trying to be somewhere else. So they're trying to worry about their own stats and they're trying to worry about doing their thing and getting noticed, which isn't necessarily conducive to winning anything because you need to be a team to win something. Right. But when you do have success as a team, the individuals have success at that level, generally. No, it's true. Like everybody wants a winner. And even like now that you look at, so with my job now, I look at Charlotte. Charlotte wins the American League, the Calder Cup last year. She's 12 guys probably left, 12 or 13 guys left their team, got big raises and went to went on and signed with other teams. Like, I think it was Brian Holzinger went up, Dixon Ward went up. I think Doug Huda was just a veteran, grizzled NHL player. He came down with the best that we wouldn't have won if we didn't have Hoods. And then he signed the one, one way with the Island and he probably prolonged his career for another three or four more years. Now he's assistant coach in, in Detroit and, he was assistant coach in Boston. He was assistant coach in, in Rochester before all that. Like it just winning and going far in playoffs and playing till June, there's nothing better. And there's, and it really does help your career. And, and you hit it on the head with the American league. is such a hard league because you're a little bit, you want to be a team guy. You're a little bit of an independent contractor. You want to get to the NHL, but you have to play within a team system. Maybe you don't like your coach this, the way he's playing you because you think you're something else. Like it's, it's a, and you're a young kid and you're trying to live on your own. You're trying to cook your own meals. You're trying to, you're balancing all these things on top of hockey and being part of a team and guys have kids, some have girlfriends, some have wives. Like it, it's a, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but. Totally a mixed bag. Totally a mixed bag. And it's interesting too at that, at that level because you have the guys that are 30 when you're 20, those guys that are 30 feel to me, they felt like they were like 50. You know, like, it, is there such a separation in that in that hockey era? Because you, I mean, you grow up and you have posters on your wall of the guys you end up playing with. Like, it's so it's so crazy. Like, it happens so fast. These guys that you idolized or saw at some place, and now that and now they're married with kids and they're doing all these things. And it is a completely different mixed bag, like you say. And you got to find your own way in it. Um, you're at the Rochester for, like you said, five six years. Yeah. So you won the championship. You end up having 22 goals your third year was your best year offensively. Um, then you end up getting like, then I saw your, your games played go down. Then you start not playing in the playoffs. Like what, what, what all happened with during that little stretch here, like that last three years. So I went through um, shoulder surgery, blew my shoulder out, tried to come. So I blew my shoulder out, I think in Chicago. So I finally get called up. I made, so 
I may almost make Buffalo out of training camp. That was a year um, Teddy Nolan got let go, coach of the year. They fired him or he resigned. Lindy Ruff came in. So I had a really good, I had a really good year on training camp that year. Went to Europe with the team, had training camp there. I was one of the few that went. And then they sent me to Rochester. You know, we always have a bunch of guys at the end of the year. So some guys got hurt. Some weren't playing well. Called me up, played a couple games, blew my shoulder out in Chicago. So, of course, I want to get back. So then I try and rush back again, blow it out again. So then I tried to play with a harness and a chain so my shoulder wouldn't, couldn't move and then just kept popping out. So I ended up having shoulder surgery that year. Then rehabbed all year, came back played whatever, 30 or 40 games, blew my ACL out. So came back, rehabbed. Next year, almost exact same time, February again, blew my other ACL out. So I had shoulder and two ACLs in three years. And then I was just like, and so then the year that I came and played with you guys or when I was in Detroit and then you came, um, I don't know, halfway through, a quarter of your way, three quarters of the way through. So that was my first year where I was kind of, you know, I just had to, I had to change it up. You know, it was just kind of a little bit of a, so that was hard. But then I I look at it, it taught me how to work out, taught me how to be, you know, have a schedule, have a routine. And, you know, I know it sucked not playing, only playing 30, 40 games those few years. And we actually had really good teams. So I'd come back and play and do well and get hurt. And we, so I played six years in Rochester and we ended up going to the Caller Cup finals three of those six years. So we had really good teams there and I wanted to be a part of it. And then I got hurt. So I'd be the eye in the sky at the headset with the coaches. like just trying to stay involved. And I don't know where my path was like, that's six years in the minors. Where else am I going to do? Maybe I was going to get into coaching or what? So it's tough. No, that's wild. So yeah, so you're, so those were, those are injuries then. So those three years in a row were injuries, injuries, injuries. Um, Your deal then is obviously then I guess done at the end of that year, 99, 2000. Mm -hmm. How, how did you end up in Detroit? Was it a Tampa Bay contract or was it an AHL deal? I had the IHL contract. That's, I couldn't get, I could have went back to Rochester. I was just, I needed a change of scenery. And then that was a, that was a tough summer. Like I was ready to go and Torts was the head coach in Toronto or in uh, Tampa Bay. So Tortorella is like, so I went to Tampa Bay's camp, but I have an, I had an IHL contract, but I didn't sign that till probably the end of probably August. You know, like I didn't have anything. I was like, what am I, I don't, do I want to come back to Rochester? I can, but I think I need a break. I need a change. And then I went there and we didn't have a great team. And, you know, (laughs) Tampa training camp was hard. I was basically five months out of an ACL. So like, I'm just trying to grind through the Tortorella training camp on one leg. And then they, then I went down to Detroit and, we had that year, had a couple injuries that year with concussions and stuff, but that was a tough year. Was oh. tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at that year, I revisited that year and <laughs> mentally and, and statistically, right? So like, yeah. um, and for me personally, I don't think I've talked about it here on the show, but that was a really strange year because I had gone from being traded for Yannick Perot to, to the Kings. Um, leading the minor leagues in goal scoring at 47 goals that one year at 21 years old, right? Go to, go to LA, um, do okay there. But again, it was almost like, it sounds like it was almost like how it was with you when you went to Buffalo for your first two games, because LA was out of the playoffs when I first got there. Right. So mm-hmm. the last five games that I played with them, 
like no one gave a shit yet I was supposed to right and I and I did but I, I had a really hard time going 110 percent when everybody else was going 80 it was just yeah. you know what I mean like it was a it was kind of a weird thing for me so bad for me but like over the summer Andy Murray came in that was maybe another issue because every time I got traded the GM got fired that traded for me mm. so we had a new coach that came in and we had a new GM that came in so Dave Taylor came in and Andy Murray and Andy Murray wanted me to get bulk up that year. He said, get bigger. He goes, I want you to, you're going to be filling either a third or fourth line role on, as, as a wing. So we want you to be, you know, about 215. So that was like the most communication I had in a long time from anybody, right? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I can, I can do this, right? Like, which was actually refreshing, to be honest, because like, instead of being the guy that was supposed to score at the NHL level and not getting any minutes, I'd rather just have a, a role, right? And just yeah. go do that role and not have the pressure of trying to produce when you're not really getting power player anymore. Right. So I was okay with that. So I went and uh, it's a long winded story to, to, to tell something you might remember. I'm sure you don't. But anyway, so I, I, that summer I worked my ass off. Right. I was trying to get bigger, bulking up, like doing everything in the world. I could came to camp at, at 215. I was squatting like 450 pounds and like, you know, just a big, big, yeah. strong tour, six foot two, ready to go. Right. Anyways, Brad Sharchan ends up making that team who in St. John's, like, Shardy and I, if I saw him, we'd still be buddies. Like, he, I, I lived with him in L.A. For, for a little while there at camp. But, like, I mean, when he came to St. John's, he couldn't have tied my, my skates. You know what I mean? Like, it was, it, like, I wouldn't even consider it in the same realm, you know? And then, like, he ends up making the team, but he was Andy Murray's uh, assistant captain for the national team. Right? So then he takes, so he takes, uh, and then I got let go on the waiver. So whatever that waiver thing is. So like, I thought I was going to make camp. I couldn't even get my contract signed. They wouldn't give me a raise. I took a pay cut for scoring 47 goals in the minors. They end up, uh, I end up getting, and then I get up taking on that waiver dry wire thing or whatever. And Tampa Bay takes me. So that was when I ended up going to Tampa. Right. So I, I which was which was Detroit. Mm -hmm. So Tampa was awful that year, Scotty. Awful. I looked them up. Like I knew they were bad, but I can't remember they were that. They were 24, 59 points they had that year, right? And we were worse. Like, the Vipers were awful. And they had all these young guys. I thought, like, whatever. I mean, it was so hard to produce there. You were minus 37. I think I was minus 28 or something, right? Like, it was the lowest point tolls I had in my career. The only good player I think we had there was Nils Ekman. Like, I remember him being good. Oh, yeah, he was good, um, yeah. And then everybody else, but all these guys were going up too. But you and I never went anywhere, right? Like, no. you know, like, I mean, I wrote down the names. It seemed like the whole team got called up to Tampa Bay. Yet, you I mean, no one ever, for me personally, that year was so weird. No one talked to me. I never got called up. Was like, they, they chose to take me off the waivers. Like, it was just such a, like, it was a surreal moment. Um, but in saying all that, Bradshaw was there. Bobby J was there. And, uh, you you talk about coaches coming back in your life. I know that you played with Bradshaw for Bradshaw again later in, in St. Louis. But mm -hmm. what was your like? What was your memory of that year? Like, just I think we had the biggest team, but the softest, and we were all Euros. We had a ton of European guys. It was just kind of I think that's where Tampa. That's where we had a lot of high picks because they haven't been good for a while. But they, I remember the guys they you couldn't get them off the ice at practice or pregame skate like they were so excited and then the game time would come around they'd just be like <laughs> like they hated the game but they loved the practice I was just like and I came from Rochester we came from winning programs I was like this has this makes no sense like and then it was just like a a carousel of of guys like because even the Vipers back in the day where they were like they might have beat some NHL teams with Jimmy Carson and 
um, all Samson off was on there. Like they had to, they would charter everywhere. And that wasn't us, you know, it was, I think they knew it was the last year in the IHL and it was all kind of go into, they would pull or everything would go into the American league. So it was a, it was a, tr that was probably my most trying year out of even all my surgeries, everything. That was a, that was a tough, that was a tough year. And when they say winning is a habit, it hundred percent is a habit. Yeah. You have a habit of winning all the time. And then you get thrown into a situation like that where there's still guys that care on that team, but when other guys don't have that, it, that's why you're not successful. Well, and that was part of that culture too. And I mean, I, I hate to put myself in the I cared category, but I, I mean, that was like the year for me because it was, it was a little bit of a, it was a moment in time for me where I was like, okay, I, this, this is a big season for me, right? Like I've had these two trades, I've done real well in the minors. Like I need to do something different. So like, for me, it was like, this is me being serious, Jason at Olin, right? Like I was trying to create this new sort of character aspect and I was going to do things differently. I wasn't going to go out as much. Like I told you about my, my, my workout program, which was funny. That's why it was funny because I, I, nutrition at the time nobody knew anything everything that i was doing was whole milk whey protein yeah. um everything Bench cheese press. you know all <laughs> yeah. this stuff right yeah. to get to get bigger and it turns out now i know i'm lactose intolerant so like i, the, <laughs> I was so bloated and so slow that year the slowest it ever was the biggest ever was but i was strong but i couldn't move i had gas i'd clear out the locker room all the time right and everyone thought it was funny we were laughing our heads off but i was actually like poisoning myself like so funny right <laughs> trying to do what's right and you end up poisoning yourself in the process but but yeah so I mean I was in this scenario too where I was like okay like we gotta win and like, it was so frustrating then seeing all these guys who didn't give a rip get called up yeah. right come back down like so like as far as like they they did wonders there in Tampa Bay to change that culture around because it was yeah. gross man. for them to be that bad up top and that bad down below for them to reward guys who shouldn't have been rewarded like that just that's cancer throughout the whole thing yeah. And I couldn't get out there quick enough. And the reason I wanted to spend so much time there is just because it was awful. That was my by far the worst pro experience that I had just because of the team and, and our lack of success and like what, what it was all about. You were on that team. You had seven goals that year. That was your worst year as a pro. And guess what, man? You never came back to the minors again. Like you've made the NHL the next year. Like how the hell did that happen? What happened? And like walk me through that like – now you're an NHLer after that. Yeah, I did. Uh, whoever thought you know you have a year like that, that was probably. And then when July first is free agency, from that on, from that year on, it was June twenty eighth, twenty ninth. Teams would be sniffing for me to to sign with them, and I kind of learned right from then. Whatever team reached out first, I would probably I would sign with them. I always signed. Once I established myself in the NHL, I always signed league minimum contracts. And I always went with the first team that reached out because usually there I was first on their list. So, and then that, I think that's why I played so long, but that year I was like seven goals, whatever I had minus 40, I'm not getting another job. And then July one came around, uh, June 30th, sorry, came around my, my Hayden, my son, that was his birthday. He was born that on June 30th. And, uh, Calgary call is like yeah we'd like to give you a two-way contract and this and that I'm like all right so I signed a two-year two-year contract two-year two-way contract with Calgary knowing I'm probably going to go down to St. John be the leader down there playing the minors help develop the young guys all that kind of stuff 
I'm a Calgary guy. I'm 25 years old. I played, you know, five, maybe five NHL games at 25. So you're pretty much a career minor leaguer, seven years in the minors. So I signed the contract. It's great. We're going to have a little stability and stuff. Um, I'm like, it's a defining moment. I'm 25. Let's I'm work. We had a good group. We had myself. Uh, we had Dane Jackson, a bunch of guys in, in Rochester, Giantas, Callahan's, these guys. And, and then we just trained our ass off that, that summer. Did the, didn't miss a day. Did the track, did the, the weights, did all that stuff, skated. Um, we're 24, 25 years old. Do it all in the morning, golf in the afternoon. We're all young. We're all married. We, you know, so it was a fun time. Then. And that's where we'd always go back to Rochester. And that's why I went there is because we skated and we can work out. Cost of living was cheap. I think we bought our house for $82,000. Uh, we couldn't, I'm a Calgary guy. I couldn't even afford to go back to Calgary. I didn't make any money. So that was our home base. And then Rochester was our hub, our home base for, you know, until we moved last year. So probably 20 some years. So we just, and then, you know, went to training camp and uh, I was in good shape. I beat Jerome McGinley out of testing. So I was the fittest flame. And right from there, the guys were like, Greg Gilbert was our coach. Uh, Brad McCrimmon was our assistant coach. They didn't make playoffs. They're looking for a spark. I came in. I didn't give a shit. I, I, didn't, I didn't really care what anybody thought of me. I just came in there and fought and, and made a mark on myself. We had a, our camp was in Banff. And then um, I never looked back. I remember Chuck Kovasu was the high, the high junior kid coming in. He couldn't come to a NH, he couldn't come to an agreement on his contract basically between Chuck and I. And uh, it's the last day of camp. Everyone's we're splitting camp after this. Next day is the regular season. He's not on the ice, didn't come to terms. So he goes back to I think Kelowna. I think he played his last year in Kelowna. And uh, Greg Gilbert skates around. He's like, Scotty, can you play wing? And I said, Gibby, I'll play whatever you want as long as I'm still here. He's like, That's the answer I wanted is to hear so we get off practice I look in the dressing room that Calgary has their their jerseys hanging so I peek my head in the in the in the dress room my jersey's hanging we have team picture so that's just what they did back then team picture first day of camp and I go back into the locker room and after that I call on the house phone call mom and dad said I made it so Oh, I, I remember oh, it was so like, amazing. That's it, was so, it was so hard. Like I, I think Chris Clark was my roommate on like at the hotel. I wouldn't like, as soon as the practice was over, I would drive to mom and dad's house and just sleep and ice bath. And like, I just poured everything I could into that camp because I knew this is it. This is my, my last chance. And then I have dinner there and then I drive back to the hotel like at seven or eight at night and go to sleep there. But it was, I just had to, it just took everything out of me. And then, uh, so yeah, so I made it. And then uh, we actually had a really good start and that helped a lot because we went like 10 and 0 to start my first year in Calgary at Roman Turek. We had a great start, hot start. I didn't play a whole lot of minutes, but I, at the beginning, and then, you know, we, they didn't want to change anything up. And I just, I stayed there the whole year and on a two way. So I was like, you know, when you're on a two-way contract, you're always tiptoeing around. And but uh, we ended up not making playoffs. I think we went on a ten-game slide. But that was my first 
chance. Hometown oh, kid, I think that helped too, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, yeah, keep keeping you home and you know get you into the daddy role, and I know that kind of changed me a lot. It, having having kids for sure, it makes you mm-hmm. makes you forces you to grow up and look at things a little different. Yeah. Um, that's unbelievable. Like I, I just I can't. I can't emphasize that enough. That's nuts, right? To be minus 37 with seven goals, seven-year minor leaguer, right? And then just come up and to make camp. And, like, the mindset you had to have going into that, like you said, you worked your tail off all summer and you just had that I don't give a shit what anyone thinks of me attitude. That's so cool to me. Because there's a different mentality, right, when you're around this like that, I I assume. Did you just try and embrace that then the rest of your career? Because you were pretty relentless even, like, before that. But, I mean, you obviously turned it up to another notch. But I think it like I had six, so six years, I had eight training camps in Buffalo. So that that's a lot of training camps. Like I see um, Curtis Brown, Wayne Primo at the beginning. I'm like, no, I have no chance I can play in the NHL, you know, but um, as I, more years I got into to training camps, I, you figure it out and they're not that hard. You know what to do. It just, so it was all kind of like, just like perfect storm kind of all came together. I was, I was injured. We had a shitty, we had a crappy year in Detroit, all that kind of stuff. And I just was like, what do I have to lose? I have a two year deal. What do I have to lose? My whole goal was be the first guy called up. That was my, my biggest, that was my goal going into Calgary, be the first call up guy. And I stayed there. I remember Christy flew in from Rochester and everyone in Rochester's watching the first game, all that kind of stuff. After the first two weeks, we get the paycheck. We're walking like, I think we're at the high and walking to the bank. I'm like, like four different times. Hey, you got the check. You got the check. You got the check. <laughs> like, I was like 300, no, 275 or something like that. I think I signed 275 over, I don't even know, 50 or something. But yeah, it was just, and the mom and dad are there. That's where I went to high school there. Like it was just, it was cool. It was, uh, it was awesome. It was good. Awesome but the, the thing was, you know, you get yourself on the map. Like, and then I, you know, beat Iggy out. Iggy was mad because he's always the fittest flame. And then, that's kind of kind of opened everyone's eyes right from then. That is amazing. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, and Chuck Kobasu is a guy that lives here in the summer. He's actually a buddy he pl- plays around, and, you know, it's, that's interesting. And that is, there's an opportunity, right, because who knows, right? I mean, if Chuck Kobasu and he's supposed to be the shiny new penny, um, he comes to a deal and he's there, then yeah. maybe you're the, you're the easy one to let go, right? Yeah. So you, you stepped For into sure. the opportunity and, and, uh, and made the most of it. And like you said, once you're there, all of a sudden everyone knows you're there. So now you're a guy who's there, right? Like you, you get over that hump of like establishing, you're having to establish yourself, right? Like you are now established. And mind you, you had to follow it up the next year. If you couldn't have done it the next year, to very well have just been, oh, I know he is a minor leaguer, right? But you, you came back and made that team again. And that was under new coaches too, correct? In Calgary? That was tough because, yeah, because uh, Daryl Sutter came in probably halfway through. Uh, right. Gibby got let go and then Daryl came in and I was like, great this is going to be awesome. Like Daryl, I'm his type, I'm a Sutter type of player, you know? So, and then he came in, he didn't like me. <laughs> and so I didn't play. I was just like, I was like, Oh, I'd be in and out of the lineup and all this stuff. So you just never know. Like, but never, just, but never sent you down. No, never sent me down though, but I stayed. So that was good. Right. But after the trade deadline, all that kind of stuff, it just, I was just trying to, and that's what I said, your second year pro. So basically I took two different seasons. Like my second year pro in Rochester was kind of like my second year in Calgary because you're not the shiny new toy. You're, you got your draft picks, like Chuck Cobus coming and playing on our team. Like, and I'm, 
a fourth line guy, like you're not changing your top two lines too often. You're changing your, probably your third, fourth line guys all the time. So every, every training camp sucked for me. You know, you always have to battle just to keep your spot. And I'm not the biggest guy. So these big muties are coming in. They're like, I'm bigger than this kid or whatever. So you're fighting scratch and clawing every single, every camp. Right. It's all good. Makes no, good. it is good. And then um, you went on, and I don't mean, I am about, this show is more about like that process of making it, not necessarily all the cool NHL stories once you do get there. Like, I, I think that you gain there is amazing. I also think it's amazing to end up playing until 37, like after making it at 25 to play as long as you did. Like, amazing testament to you to stick around and stay relevant. Like you said, like to know your role and to do it, to do what you're asked. Um, there's so many elements to that. One of which I wouldn't mind t- touching on is maybe just the element of being a good guy, like being a, right. being a good hockey guy, being a good teammate, because you mentioned that with Huda coming down and how you saw that as an example in Rochester. Like, um, I think, I mean, it doesn't get overlooked in the hockey world, but I think it gets overlooked for the guys trying to get into the hockey world. Like what that actually means. Do you think that was part of your reason for having such longevity? I think so. I think that's why I'm in a position where I'm in right now as well. You know, the people I surrounded myself were like Doug Huda, Randy Cunningworth, like those guys, like I gravitated to those guys. And if you look at our team here in Nashville right now, you have Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, you had Shea Weber, like you have these guys, they're the best people. And you think all these guys are NHL guys. They're all, they're the best. You know, you give them a free t-shirt, those guys will wear it. Like even if they're making $10 million. You know, it's just, they're just down to earth. Like you, the guys who have a chip on their shoulder, they don't make it or they don't stick around long enough. It just, it's, it's a, you know, it's a funny business that way. You know, you got to carry yourself in the right way and you get, you probably get more opportunity that way as well. So um, just, and that's kind of where my career, you know, I've always signed basically two year contracts. My first year, really excited to be with the team. My second year, basically, I'm developing the next fourth line young guy to come take my spot. And that's pretty much what I did my whole career in the NHL. Is, <laughs> you know, so, and I was good with it. That's the way it is. And then I'd always sign, you know, June 30th or whatever and move on and kept my salary low so I could play on some really good teams. So. No, that's wild. And I, I want to touch you. I mean, you end up going on for, you know, four years with Nashville, who you're working with now. And I definitely want to get to the player development stuff that you're doing. But uh, that San Jose team was 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 a real good team that you were on and that's why i just wanted to touch on that team because um you know you're in the nhl you're in the nhl but there is a few different stops you can have and experience with a few different players where it's like it actually feels like this is the nhl right and playing with marlo and thornton in their prime and going to the third round of the playoffs like that's that's the real deal can you maybe talk a little bit about that your experience with san jose and what your takeaways were from well san jose was like so i spent four years in nashville nashville was great like the year out of the Calgary, Chicago signed me to my first one-way contract. So that was the year like, all right, I'll sign. That was, I go back to that story, June 30th, they came and said, hey, my agent couldn't even get a hold of me. I'm in the hospital. Christie's having Hayden, all that stuff. And um, they're like, yeah, Chicago wants to sign me one way. And guess who? It's Brian Sutter. So it's Daryl's brother. So go to Chicago. We didn't have a very good team that year. But, and that was kind of remind me a little bit of the Detroit days in the NHL where it was a grind. And then, um, then I went to, to, then we had the lockout year. So I went over to London, played for the racers during the lockout year, just cause I wanted to keep playing. 
uh, and I would commute back and forth from Chicago. We stayed in Chicago and then, you know, Nashville called me and I, I was a group, I was a group six, so I could be a free agent. And then I ended up signing there and then I'm um, just going through Chicago, like our national team, we had Paul Korea, Peter Forrester. We had great teams. They're like, Timo uh, uh, team and in like we Scotty Hart and all like we had a really good team for a lot of years and we made playoffs every year on just like no budget at all and scratched and clawed we'd lose guys and bring guys in and we still wouldn't Barry Trot to get the most out of us and um, I think that kind of just kept I kept learning all those learned different learning experiences and then um, I think really my last year in, in Nashville, I had a bad concussion, only played 40-some games, <clears throat> and then never thought I'd play in the NHL again, and, and San Jose called me at July 1. I think they were president trophy winners. They might have lost to Anaheim the year before, and Anaheim was the eighth seed, and they got knocked off the kind of like Tampa Bay did last year. And uh, so they called, and they won my medical reports, all that kind of stuff, and I ended up signing in, in uh, San Jose, and it was awesome. It was I love Nashville and we have, I played with superstars, but it was just like a, it was a different level. Like we just, we were big physical, went to the conference final, Western conference final two years in a row. Like the guys on our roster between Rob Blake to Ryan Clough to Patty to, you know, Jumbo to Pavelski, like Danny Heatley, we had a big trade for Heater. So Heater was my roommate for two years. Like it was legit, legit. We just, couldn't get couldn't get through uh, Vancouver and couldn't get through Chicago. Right. What was the, do you, do you was there any hole? Do you think like that is one of those organizations? It's like they've been so close so many times, and there is such a fine line between winning and losing. And sometimes it's not obvious. Like, do you, do you think there was something there? Oh yeah, I think our we lost to Chicago. They had a good team. We we're just so. My second year, we were playing Vancouver. Where it was the. Um, we're playing Detroit. We're up three games to nothing on Detroit. It was like three, two, I don't know, two minutes left in the third period. Uh, Pavel or um, Datsuk scores to tie it. Then they win it. Now the series three, one, and we couldn't win a game. They took us all the way to game seven. So traveling back and forth from San Jose to Detroit. So instead of us having two weeks off to play um, Vancouver, we're beat up then fly out back to Vancouver, play there. Jumbo, I think he hurt his shoulder early in Detroit's or late in the Detroit series. So he would have been healthy. He was playing with one shoulder against Vancouver and just, I don't, we had it all. I thought we had size, we had grit, we had scoring, power play was sick, penalty kill was good. Our goaltending was okay. We just, you have to be lucky. And we just, yeah. we couldn't get lucky that those two years. And, like we had Manny Malholcher. We just had – we had all the pieces of winning face-offs to special teams to scoring, and yeah. it was good. It was uh, – those were some fun times. Who was the best guy you played with? So many different personalities and skill set. Probably early on, just Paul Korea, the way that, you know, just his routine. I think he loosened up a little bit with our group in Nashville. Um, and he was probably kind of the first superstar, I guess, that came that free agent that would come to Nashville in those days. So um, there's so many like Jumbo, unbelievable personality, just the horse, like sees the ice, brings the team. Like that was probably the first time where 
our star player, like was our star player right from like him, Patty, like they're in the gym on the ice. Like they really led by Pavelski really led by example and you had nothing. What, what, what could you say? You had right. to follow him, you know? Yeah. Um, Jerome McGinley was just back in the, he would do it all fight score. Um, didn't have a whole lot of supporting cast, I think his days in Calgary, but um, I don't know. There's, and then I go to St. Louis. We had like TJ Oshie, Tarasenko, David Backus. Like we had really good teams there as well. Um, yeah. Just you know, just couldn't. It's hard to win. That's no, it's hard to win. It is. And I mean, you're, and some of those guys are. I mean, that's the thing at that level. There's good players, and then there's like Hall of Fame players, and you got to play with you know Paul Korea, which is one of those. Joe Thornton will be one of those. You know. Um, yeah. Kevin Sawyer, you remember that name from Spokane? I'm sure he told a story about uh, Paul. Cause I played with Paul in Penticton as well, but I mean, as in, in junior A. So he was a couple, well, one year, one or two years older than me, and he was lighting that league up. And he was super nice guy. And still, if I see him in an airport now, like we sh we will sit and, and and have a drink or whatever. And um, but he just he would he operated off differently than everyone else. Like he he did. There was just something about him that was a little bit different. And then Kevin told a story about how Kevin was just like, he'd be there for like two months and then get sent down. Or, and like Paul as a captain, never ever talked to him. And finally he says one day he like slashed him in the shin pads and during practice. He said, Hey Paul, Kevin Sawyer, nice to meet you. <laughs> and he said it was Thank perfect God. because like Paul actually kind of woke up and like, and then was like really kind of inclusive with him and nice, but it was just like, he was just so focused kind of like on his thing, right. That he wasn't, yeah. he just wasn't that Pat LaFontaine mentality, but it sounds like he was a little bit different when, when, when you played with him, right? Yeah, he loosened up a little bit. I think Timu Solani loosened him up and then just changed his scenery coming to Nashville. We had some characters too, like with Hartsey and Vern Fiddler, myself and uh, Kimo. Like we had a really good team and just it was Nashville. Like it was just, he could go about his business and yeah, yeah lots of fun stories about PK for sure. Oh, that's cool. Um... Well, let's move on. So since we're on Nashville there and we're getting I told you this was going to happen with time. Like we're almost here in 90 minutes. We haven't even talked about player development yet, but like what, what an interesting role. And I mean, it's, and it coincides with a little bit with what I'm doing now with you I mean, helping young guys get better. I mean, I, I just love that aspect. I just think that's such an interesting thing to be a part of. And you're doing it at the NHL level with these, with these prospects. How, how did you get into doing that first of all? And what was, uh, what was the draw? Uh, I think I got into it just because what am else? I love it. I love the game. Like I played a long time just because I love coming to the rink, love hanging out with the boys. I don't, you know, do Did I want to get into coaching? Did it, that I want to drag my family back through traveling and, you know, never seeing them, especially as a coach, you're up at six, five in the morning, you're at the rink by six, you're home at, after game. So you never see your kids. So I thought player development be a perfect segue kind of you're in it you're not in it. You're, like I said earlier, I basically signed two year deals to develop the next young guy to take my spot. And that's, that's, you can still walk the walk and talk the talk with the guys and not be totally in it. I moved back to Rochester, the family coached the boys in hockey and I would just travel and see our prospects all over, you know, us, Canada, I went to Europe a few times to see our prospects and just have relationships with them. Just, you know, I think just recapping my career of, major injuries, tough times getting into the lineup, making it to the NHL when I'm 25 years old, playing almost 700 games, playing 400 games in the minors. Like 
I think I have a good wealth of knowledge of experience that I can just, you know, tell my story and relate to these young guys. So I really enjoy this. Probably my, maybe my sixth year as player development for Nashville. Um, I, I ran it, did it myself for the first probably four years. It was a lot seeing all our guys. And then I finally started getting some help and hiring some development guys who are defensemen and just to, cause it's, it's just evolving. Guys need a little bit more, you know, just somebody to talk to. Sure. How did that, um, so you started as the head guy, that was your first role in it as being the head guy. How did, how does that interview go and how, how do, yeah, I mean, is that something you come in and you like, you're telling them how you see this being, or do you just sort of, do they tell you how it's going to be and you're going to be the foot soldier running it or how did that whole conversation start? So I told you Brent Peterson called me about, he kind of planted the seed with me halfway through my last year in St. Louis. Um, my last year in St. Louis, we had that lockout till Christmas and then we started playing and I knew that was going to be my last year. Like I said, I was 37, 38 years old, fourth line center. And, uh, at the end of the year I had to get, I took a puck in the face. So I got my face operated on and I had a sport hernia and David Poyle, um, called me and he's like, Scotty's David Poyle here. Um, are you ever going to retire? I'm like, uh, I don't know, David, what do you got for me? He's like, well, I'd like you to maybe do player development for us. Uh, Marty Jelena was with us before. And then he went to Calgary to be assistant coach. So we haven't had anybody in player development role um, for a year. Uh, we do, would you like to do it? I'm like, all right, well, let me, uh, let me talk to the family and see what it, all about and see if I want to maybe play another year so I called Marty Jelena and Marty explained it to me and all that kind of stuff so um I called so I'm so like I said I'm through two surgeries David's called me and the way David is so he, he wants you to be one he wanted me there yesterday to do all the meetings and do all this stuff and I'm like David I just had two surgeries I can't even get I don't even think I'm allowed on the plane so anyhow I go back <clears throat> we agree on it I come to Nashville couple weeks later and i uh, just kind of you know, put you know right. put so my little it, stamp on it i guess so right so it wasn't like you were really uh it wasn't like put out and it wasn't like all these resumes coming in it was like an ask and if you said yes you could do it essentially so yeah, it wasn't a competition yeah i know well that's a great spot to be in so what for everyone listening what does being well first of all what is your official title and and what what role does well what do you what do you do for a job description for you to put in a nutshell so I'm the general manager of our minor league team. So I'm a Milwaukee Admirals. So I do that. And then I also do, I'm the director of player development. I have Rob Scuderi that helps me on the defensive side of things. I have Sebastian Bordalo that helps me with the forwards. So basically once we draft the player, we're, he's ours. Like he comes into our little nest. So we probably have, I don't know, maybe what do we have? 16 prospects right now that are first year college guys third year college guys couple going back to senior year um we have one two kids in the ohl uh we have a couple kids over in europe one in one in sweden one in finland so that's those are our guys so we watch video on them we send them video we send them tapes we talk to them we kind of just mold them a little bit um on their game just like a little bit of the pro details nothing about systematic stuff because we don't know what their their coaches are teaching them we're just mostly just trying to get the the fine details and just have a relationship with them 
And so these guys are, Scotty, these guys are guys that have been drafted but aren't in Milwaukee. Right, they they're not pro. Drafted. They're not in the East Coast yeah. League, and they're not, or they're not in the AHL. They're just they're draft picks that are that are still amateurs, still amateurs playing for Boston University, right. North okay. Dakota. These guys. So yeah, we fly in there and see them on the weekends. Talk to their coaches if their coaches need some help with them. Like sometimes another voice is good, so they'll call us and say, "Hey, oh, this kid's struggling. Do you think you can give him a call?" And we sure. So we have we'll go down after games, talk to the coaches, and just have a relationship with the organization as well. And then uh, once they, so yeah, every year you have a pool of prospects and you can't sign everybody. You're only allowed to 50 NHL contracts. So that's between Milwaukee, Nashville, your prospects. So out of your seven drafted players every single year, hopefully you can sign them all because that means you're doing a great job drafting. But usually you probably sign maybe three or four out of that seven, maybe three out of that draft class. So you really have to make sure you're, you're picking the right kids because you're, you're signing them to a three-year contract. You can't get out of it, so you're, you have to develop them. So some of them, you know, they get drafted, they play college, and, there's, and some play junior, but maybe that's their ceiling, you know, and that's just, that's just there's nothing wrong with it. To get to that spot is unbelievable, and some just have a little bit more potential to keep growing. So, And then that's our job as an organization is to pick those guys out of who we think has the biggest upside and sign them to a contract then most of them come to me in Milwaukee. And I like my job is because I can see exactly where they fit in from um, college, junior, Europe, into my team in Milwaukee, and then eventually on to Nashville. There's a few exceptions like Dante Fabro um, for Boston University last year. He, he skipped me and I had, like I've known these kids for five years. And so he just went right to Nashville. He's a great player. And so he, yeah. that's where you belong. So. So you talk about you talked about the ceiling there, right? Some guys have a ceiling, and some guys uh, are able to maybe push through or develop a little bit more. Is there any type of a personality trait uh, or or something, uh, some intangible that you see with guys that 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 can tell you who are who are the guys that got a little more, or why are certain guys have a little more and others don't? Is is, is there anything there in your years that you've seen? Well, I think everyone's different. Like even the style of play and just how like some guys are great aren't great college players and some guys are better pros than they are in college like just their demeanor like some things if you're wound up and you're ready to go and go through a wall every single game that's great but sometimes that doesn't translate at the pro level sometimes because you you get too jammed up i'm still relatively really new at this like it just it's it's great because it surprises me every year. There's a, a perfect example is Tommy Novak. Uh, he was our second round draft pick, Minnesota, played at Minnesota for four years and really highly touted, struggled um, his last year, senior year. He might've scored two or three goals and second, second round pick. So because of our relationship that we had, we said, Tommy, like, I know you we will go to bat for you. So he signed an American league contract, just a bare bones American league contract last year for us to keep him in our group. Because once you kind of, once you draft a player, he's in your nest. Like you, you're never going to put more into a player um, who's your draft pick than a guy you just trade for. Like you have vested interest in these kids. So I'm like, so I'm like, just sign an American league deal, you know, and, and see how it goes. So he ends up signing an American league contract. And he's seventh in scoring in the American Hockey League last year. 
So we flipped his American League contract, signed him to a two-year entry-level NHL contract with um, $90,000 signing bonus, 70000 in the in the American League, plus year 700 in the NHL. So he got a so he basically got his contract, but he had to kind of take a step back before he gets to take a step forward. Not too many kids would do that. They'd be like, forget it. I want an NHL contract with this team. But like I said, we have a vested interest in these kids. So it's a good, it's a really good example to show other kids coming. And he was a better pro than he was a better college player. Right. And he has a chance next year to make, make the team. He has a chance to, he's still got a little bit of work to do um, just on the little face-offs, all that, but he has, he's like a, a Mike Ribeiro type of player. Sees the ice, makes plays. You know, he's uh, some, another skill set that, that we need in our organization. You can't have all Scott Nichols that's just going 100 miles an hour and don't know where the puck is. Like, you need, other, <laughs> you need pieces. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, what do you find as, as the biggest strengths uh, and maybe the, or the biggest holes in, in, in today's player? Like, what, what's different? Uh, I, don't mean, I don't even need, you don't even need to compare it between our era and theirs because it doesn't really matter. Like, if, if, you, were to, if you were to pick out something that, that the majority of players need to work on right now, what would it be? Probably, it's probably more consistency now than ever because kids are making the NHL earlier. You know, we never – like the NHL isn't a development league, and the NHL is starting to turn into a development league. Like there's more patience for the young guys coming in, and that's just your salary cap era. You need the young guys to play. You need them to produce. So I'd probably just more consistency, I think. I think all the kids now, like you, you play World Juniors, all that kind of stuff, like – these kids are on a huge stage right from age 14, 15. So I, I find you see these young kids coming in and stepping into the playoffs. You're like, who are these guys? And then nothing really rattles them because they, they've been, they've been taught early to handle it, but it's still like, I think just overall the grind of this regular season is it's just the consistency. It's just little details and you know, it, it's hard. It's you're 19, 20 years old playing in the National Hockey League against the best players in the world. Sure. No, that's 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 a great point. Consistency is such an interesting thing too. There was something that it was something that I was told um, as a let's say a 21 year old pro, right? Like, you know, doing well in the minors, and then somebody would tell me if anyone did talk to me, it was well, you got to be more consistent. Yeah. And I just never really understood what that meant. I mean, I kind of did, like in the sense of. Well, actually, I kind of didn't. Like, I assume they were talking about maybe work ethic in games. Like, uh, there's no way you're going to score every game. So, man, I'm not sure how that you can be more consistent with that, right? Like, if you're if you're producing. Um, but, like, if you were to say to somebody now more consistent, what is the underlying action to help them become more consistent that you would be working on them with? Well, I think it's just, like, if you look at your top players, like your Crosby's, your, everybody, your top players are all killing penalties now. They're all playing 200 foot game. They're all blocking shots They're Where before it was just like, okay, your fourth line guys are killing penalties. Now your, your best players are playing in every situation. So to be consistent, it's on your wall play. It's in your own zone. It's reloading back to the middle. It's not just scoring goals. It's just your all around 200 foot game because that's every, there's no time or space and everybody is so detailed because of video and, and coaching and, and skill set like and there's no there's no hooking and holding so you better be in good position good right. you know 
your foundation has been been good. So your consistency isn't just like, okay, if you get a chance to score, score, it's just like the days you feel like this and you could skate forever. And there's, you probably have more days that you don't feel very good. You just gotta, you just gotta make those little cut. You're not hitting home runs. You don't need a backhand sauce, a puck through the middle of the ice. Just, just make the play. If you're not feeling it that night, that's kind of just, you know, and whatever role you get put into and just be, maybe you're not getting power play time. Maybe you're, you know, just establish yourself as soon as you can. And just on the little details of playing hockey. Right. Would there be, would there be any tips or tricks off the ice to, to increase consistency on the ice? I know, I know a lot of the guys and I mean, you went there too, which is fine that we always think about what's going on the ice during the game, right? Like this is when you need to do this. And sometimes we forget about what actually is happening away from the rink, whether that is when you show up for practice or what you're thinking about before you go to bed at night or whatever whatever it is. Like, did you think that would, is some things that guys could work on to, to help their consistency? Yeah, I think everything. I think that's where your, your um, nutrition comes in, your sleep patterns come in. Like now we all have sleep doctors where before after every game we'd fly out right after and a lot of teams are staying overnight because they have a better sleep in that home city and then they get up and they fly so even all those little stains you know video games are great but not playing until two or three in the morning you know as young guys coming into the league like yeah. you got to get your rest like all this stuff comes into play and it's not like you we have um mental coaches like we have so many resources for the kids to reach out and use use them because everybody just that little detail that little fine minute that might put you over the hump to keep you in the nhl or or, or stay in the nhl or have a career in the nhl right. you know it could help yeah those habits i mean i've heard a lot of guys talk about it I and mean, that's one thing that i learned as i went through was like the habits of being a pro because you might have the the toolkit to be a pro right you might have the ability and can skate and you can do all these things but you haven't quite understood what it means to be a professional you know, and how to bring that every day and how to show up at the rink, you know, enthusiastic and not with bedhead and, you know, make the most of your time there. And I think that there is quite a bit of stuff that guys do need to learn coming in. Um, I mean, to help establish themselves and, and help with their consistency, you know, at, at the end of the day, how to produce. It's just experience. It's just, you gotta, you can tell these kids till they're blue in the face of what's going to happen, this and that, but it's just until they actually live it, until they actually play a game in the NHL and say, oh, yeah, like the pace of it, the execution, the, the crispness of handling pucks on your backhand, like you can tell them that. It just, they have to go through it. Right. And once they go through it and they realize it, they're like, all right, that's training camp. Okay, I better, my body fat better be under 10. Right? You know, like everybody else is. It's just, and that's why we have development camp. And we go through all these. So when these kids go from junior to college and they finally get to their first year training camp, and it's a big step. Um, the, tra the trainers are, you know, the trainers, you know, the coaching staff, you know, all the development guys, you know, the minor league guys. So now they're comfortable going from four years development camp. Now it's training camps, not so hard. They're not getting in at two in the morning, getting up at six and, you know, putting a name tag on your shirt because nobody knows who you are. You know, everyone's, so that it, you make it a little bit easier, a little bit more comfortable for the guys coming in. When you're working, and I mean, I didn't realize that you were doing the GM role there too. That's a lot, man. Like that's to do that and player development. Cause I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of back office stuff running a team there in the minor leagues. How, 
how do you establish the relationships one with the guys so they trust you because they do need to i would assume that's a big part of what you're doing but yet there's only so many spots where they're going you know um how do you manage that first of all and then who is your first the second part of that is who's your contact point is it is it the gm then the the, the nhl gm as far as who you think sh should be going and, and and i assume you're asked that question who's ready yeah so that's uh so our our gm here is david Poyle, and um yeah we have a really good group Jeff Kelty is our assistant GM. Brian Poyle, his son, is our assistant GM as well. He does a lot of the negotiations, the cap stuff, and then myself. So that's our management team so that we lean on each other quite a bit that way. And, and I, I take care of all my staff, all my coaches um, in Milwaukee. I'm in Milwaukee probably two weeks of the month. And then I go from Milwaukee to see some of our prospects. And then I also coach my boys in hockey. So I'm kind of all, all over the place, but uh, – and I also go on the ice. I probably, probably only one of the only GMs at, at the American league level that go on the ice. I go on the ice with our guys because a, I'm still player development and our head coach is fantastic because who wants their boss on the ice with them, but we have a good relationship. And I think just my personality wise, but I have a, like I spent my whole life sitting on the bench and, you know, at ice level. And that's how I react, react and relate with our guys. So even just skating around the ice, the Indy 500, five minutes before practice, how many guys will come up to me or I go up to them and, you know, put your arm around them and say, hey, great game. You played great last night. Or I can be honest, brutally honest with them and say, let's get going here. And they're like, yeah, I know I wasn't that good. It's just your barriers are off. Like I'm not sitting in the stands with my suit on. I am on the ice level, dropping pucks. They're hitting my shins with their sticks like – you know, so it, I think I relate very well, and I think our guys do well and play hard and want to play till the middle of June because of that, because of the culture that we we brought there. That's awesome. No, I love that. I mean, that's great because I mean, like I said earlier, it always used to be like an us versus them. When you when you have somebody in the trench there talking with you and wanting to know what's going on and uh, being relatable, right? It feels like you're, you're pulling the same rope, and I'm sure you're able to get a lot more out of guys doing that. So, Pod, so speaking of that, then it is. It's just, so I said, if I am in the position where I'm at, I'm going to have a father's trip. So we've, we've, I put a father's trip in two years and last two years in the American Hockey League. It's a little bit of a hillbilly father's trip. It's not like we're flying and staying in the Ritz-Carlton. So – and since then, our record, I don't even know, we might have lost 12 games in the last year and a half after the Father's Trip. You know, we went on a 12-game winning streak. As soon as we had the Father's Trip, went on a 12-game winning streak year before and ended up second in our division, got into the playoffs. Like, so we fly them in on a, whatever, a Thursday morning. We have a dinner Thursday night, nice dinner, hand out jerseys to the, the, the kids come up say something nice about their dads you know just dads and sons there's never a lot of huggy feely is the best the best kids tearing up dads tearing up it's the minors it's the it's the federal league basically so they we have that and they so we have dinner and then they they're they're welcomed in our meetings so they come to the rink the next morning we have breakfast for them they go through power play penalty kill coach's office is open to training like dads are around everywhere and uh, we play Friday, usually get on a bus um, Saturday morning or Friday night, or usually Saturday morning, go to Rockford or Chicago. So the dads see two games and 
you know, they usually go out with the boys that Saturday after the game and they fly home, see the mom, see mom. So it's oh, been wow. great. I loved it. It's, and the boys in, so enjoyed so much, you know, and I enjoyed talking to the dads and telling stories. And like we have Jared Tenorti, his dad, uh, Mark Tenorti played in the NHL for a long time with Washington. We have uh, Rem Pitlick is Lance Pitlick. He played in Ottawa for a long time. So we have a couple NHL guys, um, kids playing my team. And just them come up as a, hey, thanks. Oh, I never, this is the best. We, I never had the opportunity to do this. My dad, thank you for putting it together. So yeah, it's great. Super special, super special. And great way to build that culture and that community, right? Um, right. Anytime you can do that in a, in a pro sport, that can be, people don't get that, right? That it, they assume everyone just gets together and you're, you know, it's rah, rah, right? Like you gotta, you have to do things consciously to get guys to believe in each other and want to do things for the guy beside them, right? And it, it's not uh, it's not as natural as, as many things. So those little those little things that you're doing there are huge. Then you get loyalty, like you earn loyalty too, which right. which is a great thing, right? They they want to go to bat. No, that's amazing, man. I uh, boy, I've I've had a few I've had a few conversations with guys. I love what has what's happening with the game. Boy, it'd be fun to be a to be a young guy now coming up. You know, there's there's so much more support. There's so much more resources there. And, uh, and like you said, they're a necessary part of the team. Like, they, you need those guys. You have to have those guys if you're going to be a winner. So they're in a scenario where if you want to – I mean, if you truly can be successful, you, you can be successful, right? If you, if you have the want and the desire, if you want to show, guys are going to go to bed for you. So um, cool, man. I, we're almost hitting the two-hour mark, so i got to let you go. We could probably do this for the rest of the day. But um, I know y- y- your story is, is second to none. Um, I've been wanting to talk to you since you were actually done your career, but just the way it goes and families and stuff. And yeah. it's taken 20 years to talk, but um, from me to you, congratulations on an amazing career, like super, super cool. Um, like I said, at the time we used what I would never have guessed it, right. That the next year you'd have been in, in, in Calgary and to never be seen again and to have this amazing pro career. And now you're, and now you're doing it at the NHL level uh, with player development. So, so good for you. I really appreciate your time today, Scott. And uh, a lot of guys learned a lot here. I mean, like there's a lot of ways to get there, right. It's yeah, not just one is. way. Yeah. Um, I like your, your scenario of having, just having a plan A, no plan B. <laughs> yeah. Right? You go all That's in. It's probably not the smartest, but it worked. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we'll um, we'll keep in touch for sure. And um, again, thanks so much for for hanging out today. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, Pods. It was great. I enjoyed it too. Anytime. Awesome, man. Cheers. Well, that was amazing. Uh, Scott is such a fun guy to talk to. His stories are great. Uh, he was a pit bull definitely to play against. He was a, a pit bull out there. He would scrap and claw. He would be chirping. He would be yelling. He'd be doing whatever it took to help his team win. And uh, and that got him noticed. And that got him his 700 games after being a minor leaguer for, for seven years. And, and to do what he's doing now and to be as successful as he's being, uh, it just lets you know that when you care about something and when you're passionate about something and when you're a good person while doing it, uh, there's a spot for you. So for everyone out there, everyone has their own path. Everyone makes it on their own time and in their own way. And I love stories like Scott is because we can all learn from what Mr. Nickel did. Uh, from being the third last guy taken in 1993 to being an undersized guy at five foot nine, 180 pounds, uh, to being a guy that just kind of was getting overlooked, 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 but he kept showing up. And he kept showing up and he kept getting better and he kept not making excuses. And guess what? 
the proof is in the pudding. So thanks so much for your time, Mr. Nickel. <clears throat> you are an awesome guy. I enjoyed playing with you in Detroit, and uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Till next time, thanks for listening to Up My Hockey. Oh,